Erev Tov, good evening. We are together in Rabbi Yosef Kapach's Mishneh Torah, in the introduction of the Rambam's Mishneh Torah. If you're with me in Rav Kapach's Mishneh Torah, you're on page 38. If you are in Sepharia or some other uh, app like that, you'll be looking for the eighth section of the Rambam's introduction to the Mishneh Torah. We've mentioned already Shimon HaTzadik, Antignos Yishsocho. We mentioned yesterday the beginning of the generation of the Zugot. Yosef ben Yoezer, or Yosef ben Yoezer, Ish Tzereda, and his colleague, Yosef ben Yochanan, Ish Yerushalayim. Yosef ben Yochanan, the man of Yerushalayim, Ubedinam, and their Bateidin, Kiblu Mantignos Ubedino. They received the Torah from Antignos and his Betadin. For those of you who have your cameras on, I very much appreciate seeing you. And for those who don't, I completely understand if you cannot do that at this moment. If you look at the PDFs that are attached to the Google Classroom, you should find the encyclopedia that I attached. And today we're actually skipping past the first few pages and at the end the numbers are out of order. You want to look for the page that says 536 at the top of the page or 535. It's quite interesting in this book that the author labeled page numbers by column numbers. So each column is its own page number as opposed to each page having its own page number. Why? I have no idea. So that PDF, you have it? Yosef ben Yochanan ish Yerushalayim. Who was Rabbi Yosef ben Yochanan, the man of Yerushalayim? Echad mechachmei hazug harishon. He was one of the first, of the first pair. So who is those pairs? Yesterday was Yoezer ish Tzereda, and now it's Yosef ben Yochanan, the man of Yerushalayim. He's the other half of the pair that led the Jewish people in the time just after the men of the Great Assembly. His friend and his partner, was the Chacham who we spoke about last night. If you want to sit closer at any one of these tables, you're welcome to do so. He is the partner of Yosef and Yehazel, who we mentioned last night. Shishimesh Nesi, he was the prince, meaning Yosef and Yehazel was the prince. Vehu Yosef and Yochanan hayam nishnehu. Yosef and Yochanan was his uh, second in command. Av Bed Hadin, he was the head of the Bedin. Shenehem hayu talmidei Antignos Ishtocho, both of them were students of Antignos Ishtocho. And if you look at the top of page 537, so it's the PDF, whatever you both of these Chachamim were students of Antignos Ishtocho. And now I'm at the top of page 537. So if you see the PDF, it should be 537 in the top right of the page. And they were big Chachamim who we mentioned yesterday, they were called Eshkolot, these grape uh, bunches. Meaning they were all-inclusive Chachamim. Ma'amaro haya, his famous teaching 
of Yosef ben Yoezer is found in Perkavot. And where he says, Yihi betcha patuach lirvacha. Your home should be open and abundant. It should be open to everyone. Viyu aniim b'nei betecha. And the poor people should be members of your home. Ve'al tarbe sicha im haisha. And do not speak increasingly with a woman. And this is a famous Mishnah. Talks about how much more so. Uh, this is how much more so with your wife. So how much more so with your friend's wife. I'm not interested today in discussing this Mishnah perkevot. At least not the second half of it. Kol ma sheyadua alav mitorato vechokmato. Almost everything that we know about Yochanan, Yosef ben Yochanan Ishirushanaim, is the same exact life story as his partner and colleague. So really, there is very little to know about the life of Rabbi Yosef ben Yochanan, the man of Yerushalayim. In fact, in his entry on Yosef ben Yochanan, Ish Yerushalayim, Rabbi Yosef Mesas writes the following words. He says, Moray v'rabotai, ladies and gentlemen, Hashalem hazeh, this wholesome, complete man, meaning... Rabbi Yosef ben Yochanan Ish Yerushalayim. Lo noda midivrei yamav davar. We know nothing about his life. Meaning, we don't know anything about his personal life. Rak ha'amur alav al ben zugo. We only know what's said about him and about his colleague, Yosef ben Yoezer. Mishemetun, when they passed away, bitlu heshkonot, like we mentioned last night, these bunches have passed from the world. Eshkolot means a man who contains in him everything. They were familiar with every wisdom and every science. And in the fear of Hashem. And in their kindness towards other people. And therefore, says Rabbi Yosef Masas, I have nothing else I could tell you aside from let's study what he said because there's not much to study about who he was. So in tonight's you, I'm purporting to tell you all about Rabbi Yosef ben Yosef. But I have very little to work with because everything that I know historically about Yosef ben, uh, Yosef ben Yochanan, I already told you last night when I spoke about Rabbi Yosef ben Yosef. So tonight instead, I wish to do what Rabbi Yosef Masah suggested. And that is that instead of focusing on who this Chacham was, to try to understand deeper the teaching of this Chacham that he left with us. And especially the teaching that's relevant from what I mentioned yesterday. And before I get there, we're studying about the Rambam. And I think many people know the Rambam as this uh, strict, cold, halachic, rationalist person. And very few people ever get to know who the Rambam himself really was. Our parents always told us that if you want to know the Rambam, the halachist, go study the Mishneh Torah. If you want to know the Rambam, the philosopher, the Ish Emunah, the Ish Deot, go study his Moren Vuchin, his Guide to the Perplexed. But if you want to understand Rambam, the human being, the giant human being, the beautiful human being, you have to go read his letters. 
And Zev always reminds me, we're still waiting to do a shiur in the writings of the Rambam's letters. I'll tell you the truth is, my hesitance with the teachings of the Rambam and his letters is that it's very unclear to us which of those letters are authentic and which of them are not. So much so that Rabbi Yosef Kapach, in his edition of the Rambam's letters, only published three or four letters. The rest of them, he said, just like he received the reward for teaching the Rambam's Torah, he will receive reward for not touching the Rambam's letters because most of them, in his opinion, are forgeries. What about the correspondence between the Yisrael and David? Right, yeah, yeah, with the sea with the, the and all that, the business. I don't know. The truth is that not everyone agrees. I, I, I heard Rav Shilat also says that most of his letters are accurate. In his edition, he omits a few of the letters he claims that are not. Uh, I know that Chacham Faur took the Rambam's letter seriously. To which degree, I don't know. I haven't analyzed that uh, on my own. But I'll get there. I'll get there. So right now, I have no idea what this computer is doing. So right now, let's talk a little bit about the philosophy of Rabbi Yosef ben Yoeza as opposed to the philosophy of Rabbi Yochanan, Yosef ben Yochanan, Ishi Yerushalayim. Last night I told you that this generation is dealing with which struggle? What's, what's the struggle of the generation of these two Chachamim? Which movement were they fighting against? Okay, yeah, very good. So they were in the generation of those students, but which non-Jewish empire was taking over the Jewish country? The Greeks, very good, the Ivanian. And once, once we're dealing with the Greeks, we're also dealing with the Mityavnim, which are Jewish traitors who become Greeks, or attempt to become Greeks. And much of the struggle of this generation, including the ones after it, but especially this generation, which is the trailblazing generation. If Antignos Ishsocho has the ability to debate, you should be like servants who reserve, serve not to receive a reward. This generation, things already got real. Here, they have to make sure that they don't lose the Jewish people. And last night I mentioned to you that the B. Yoseb and Yoezer's teaching is Your home must be a meeting place for Tamidei Chachamim. What is he stressing here? Your home. What is your home? Where did the Jewish people used to go for chizuk, used to go for strength, used to go for, for their beliefs? Where is the, the greatest rabbi's house, the greatest Bera Knesset? The Bera Mikdash. The Bera Mikdash. You go to the Bet Mikdash to be recharged, to be rejuvenated, to walk out to the world and say, I know how to deal with the world. And what's happening here? They're dealing with a generation which the Ben Mikdash is corrupt. The Kohanim are becoming more Greek than the Greeks themselves. There is nothing to gain in the Ben Mikdash, And therefore, Rabbi Yosef ben Yoezer shifts the Jewish mentality. Much like the Anshei Kreza he shifts the Jewish mentality to say, you must make your home a Bedvan Dachachamim. Your home must be a place that can give you what the Ben Mikdash is not giving you anymore. So you know when I was I was biting my lip a little when I was saying what I said. 
I don't know that I could say the Bede Mikdash was entirely useless, but the leadership of the Bede Mikdash was so out of touch with the Shekhinah, it's like, of course, in every Bede Knesset where Jews pray in their Sivay Torah, there should be holiness. But what are you going to do if the rabbi is a crook and the president is a criminal and all the people who pray in this are bad people? So maybe you'll walk away with some, some experience that you created for yourself, but you could also do that in your home without all of the evil surrounding you. That, that, okay. Oh no, but the Bet Migdash didn't work like this. Now we're dealing with the Bet Migdash. The miracles are not rampant everywhere. This is a different Bet Migdash here. That's a very good point. And now, now, you can understand something that I told you Chanukah time. I mentioned to you that by Chanukah, there's an argument about whether you light a Chanukiah, a menorah, whatever you want to call it, in the Bet Knesset or not. We mentioned the main miracle of Chanukah is to light in your home. Ish uveto. Ner ish uveto. Why? This is the holiday that we celebrate that we were able to overcome all of the corruption that was in the Bet Mikdash, that was in the establishment by making the Jewish home overcome everything else that was going on in the Jewish street at the time. And therefore in our home is where the mitzvah is shayach, the mitzvah belongs to our home. The mitzvah is not a mitzvah of a synagogue. It's the exact opposite of that. This mitzvah is a personal mitzvah. And this is truly one way to deal with the world around us being chaotic. Turn your home into some center of Jewish life. But I will tell you, I will tell you that uh, if we're talking about halachot and Jewish community, and there are many struggles lately with what a modern Jewish community should look like especially when it comes to issues of the role of women in Batei Knesset and where they belong in this, what seems to be a, a men's only club in many places. My grandmother, was a very educated person. She was a person who learned, a person who knew Tanakh by heart. She was a person who was a very, a very Torah-involved, Torah-centered person. In my grandparents' synagogue, for many, many years, there was no ladies' section. It just wasn't a thing. And it wasn't because women were oppressed. And women, there was a, a certain type, if it comes in here, there's a certain type of Jewish community. You could argue for better or for worse, but a Jewish community in which Jewish people, the home was the center of life. The home was the center. The Benachonis was a place where the men went to go pray for a little bit and came back home, where the home was all of your Judaism. Something switched, especially when we came to this country, because in Israel it's not necessarily true. In this country, the Benachonis is the center of Jewish life. Here you come for classes. Here you come for tefillot. Here you come for life cycle events, for bar mitzvot, for weddings, for britot, for all the things that happen. Sometimes some Knesset is even where you go for movie night and bingo night and, I don't know, dominoes night and pizza with the rabbi and beer with the rabbanit and menorahs and martinis and whatever else people do. The whole of the Bet Knesset is the center of Jewish life. I mean, that's what it is. And what is a person's home? Most people delegate their spirituality to the Bet Knesset. Whoever is not on mute right now, if you don't mind muting yourself, I'd appreciate it. So, you are living in a world in which now the Bet Knesset has turned to be the primary Jewish domain, but we don't allow half of the Jewish people to really be active inside of the Bet Knesset. This is what's happened in the Jewish people. But here you're dealing with the philosophy of Rabbi Yosef ben Yosef was telling you, turn your home into your Bet Mikdash. And now, you have his colleague. 
his colleague who tells you, no, the opposite is true. Rabbi Yosef ben Yo'ezer is saying, Yihi betcha patuach lirvacha. Open up your home as open as it possibly can be. Don't get locked up in your home. Don't build some elite place where Jewish people study together and learn together. Open up your home for the whole world. And I'm, what I'm telling you now is like the Ramban says about derasha. If you uh, appreciate it, so that's great. And if you don't agree with what I'm saying, that's also great. I'm not necessarily right. I'm trying to read something into a text that's not necessarily there. Yosef ben Yoezer is the other side. He's the other side of this coin. He's the one who's saying, don't build a ghetto. Don't go hide away in a little room with Torah and books and, and Chachamim. You must open up your home and expose as many people as you possibly can to Torah mitzvot. In a generation where Jews are leaving, there's no more past the bar to get in. You've got to be this uh, exclusive to get in. You cannot be exclusive anymore. You don't have the luxury. If you start playing the exclusive game, you will lose Am Yisrael. And his idea your home has to be open for everyone. I was telling you before about the Rambam, right before the computer. Rabbi Yosef Masaz writes about the Rambam's home. They say about the Rambam, may his memory protect us. That his home was open for all types of services for the people. Raev motze ochel. A hungry person found food in the Rambam's home. Ani motze tzedaka. A poor person found charity there. Dachuk motze halva'a. Someone who's pressured financially found a loan in the Rambam's home. Chole motze refua. A sick person was able to come to the Rambam for medicine. Ohev chokma motze chokma. Those who loved wisdom and they were looking for wisdom, they found wisdom in the Rambam's home. Shoel all those who had questions, halacha questions, guidance in life, they found answers. Arum an unclothed person, meaning someone who didn't have afford clothing, found clothing. all those who needed advice in life found advice. They found counsel. all of the similar things. And the most gracious thing that Rambam did in his life was that he wrote his books for us. The greatest chesed that Rambam did is he wrote books for us. These are books that, that are full of light and they radiate light. Their splendor is beautiful in the whole world. And this is in line with the teaching of Yosef ben Yochanan who tells us your home must be open for everybody. The Rambam lived this lifestyle. Everybody came to his home. Anybody who needed came to his home for whatever reason. You know, many of us think that we can only offer one type of tzedakah. We only can give money. If I don't have a lot of money, I can't give tzedakah. You know, not everyone's looking for money. Some people look for sympathy. Some people look for advice. Some people just look for a friend. Some people look for food. Some people look for wisdom, like we mentioned. They want people they could talk to. Open-minded people, caring people, intelligent people. We are so limited in what we think we can give other people. The Rambam internalized this 
and gave everybody whatever they needed from his home. And I mentioned to you these two philosophies for an important reason. Because I would like to take a few minutes and trace with you where I think we can see these divides continuing in the Jewish people throughout history. So follow me into the Talmud. I attached a link over there in the Zoom invitation. If you look, it's a link to Masechet Berachot, Tractate Berachot. So if you open up the Google Classroom, you'll find a link at the bottom to Sepharia. If you don't have that link, it's very easy. You can take out your phone, you can open Sepharia, click Talmud, You then click, once you open the Talmud, I think you might have to choose the Babylonian Talmud. You then want to find Masechet Berachot, Tractate Berachot. And once you open Tractate Berachot, you'll see whatever page it opens for you. On the top of the Safari page is a down arrow. That down arrow, you want to click on it and select page 27B. Anyone need help finding that uh, Google link in the Google Classroom or the Safari link? Let's read together. Tanur Rabbanan, the sages taught, somewhere in the middle of that page. There was a student that came before Rabbi Yoshua. Amar lo, he tells them, Tifilat Arvit Reshut Uchova. Amar le Reshut. Is praying Arvit optional or obligatory? And he says, it's optional. Gamliel, he comes before Rabban Gamliel. Amarlo, he tells him, Tefilat Arvit, Reshut is Tefilat Arvit, the evening service. Is it optional or mandatory? Amarlo, Tefilat Amarlo Chova, it's an obligation. Amarlo, and he tells him, Vahalo Rabbi Yoshua, Amarli Reshut, but Rabbi Yoshua told me it's optional. Amarlo, Hamtenat Shikansu, Malay Terisin, Evet Midrash. Wait until the Torah scholars enter the Ben Midrash and we'll discuss this together with all the other Tamil Chamin. When this is a nickname for Torah scholars, when they entered, and when we get to this in that class, we'll have a lot to say here. When they entered the Ben Midrash, Ahmad this questioner stood up and he asked, Is the evening service mandatory or optional? Amarlo Rabban Gabriel, Rabban says Chova. It's obligatory. Amar lehem Rabban Gamliel ha-chachamim. Rabban Gamliel, who is the prince, he turns to the chachamim and he says, Kilum yesh adam shecholet bedavar zeh. Is there any one of you 
who disputes my statement that Arvit is uh, mandatory? Amar le Rabbi Yoshua love. Rabbi Yoshua says no. No one disagrees. He doesn't want to argue now with the prince. He doesn't want to argue with Rabban Gamliel. Yeah, he disagrees, but he doesn't want to fight with him. But wasn't it you and your name I heard them say that you taught people that this Arvit is optional? I mean, what are you telling me you don't disagree? You do disagree. Amar says calling him Rabbi Yehoshua. Yehoshua, by his first name. Amod al raglecha v'yaidu b'cha. Stand on your feet and they will testify against you. Amad Rabbi Yehoshua al ragla v'amar Rabbi Yehoshua stood on his feet and he said, Ilmaleh ani chai v'hu met, yechol achai l'achit shata met. V'achshav shani chai v'hu chai, ha'ech yechol achai l'achit shata chai. If I were alive and the student were dead, the living can contradict the dead, and I can deny issuing that ruling. But now that I'm alive and he's alive, how can the living contradict the living? Meaning, I have no choice. I have to tell you that I'm the one who said that I argue with you about the status of Arvit, that it's optional, when you say it's mandatory. Rabban Gamliel was sitting and lecturing. And Rabbi Yoshua were main standing on his feet. So he's standing. Why is he standing? Why is he standing? Look at Rabban Gamliel didn't tell him to sit yet. All the people began murmuring that it's not fair to Rabbi Yoshua. They're making him stand. Was Rabban Gamliel torturing him? He's picking on him? And they told Chutzpit, that's an interesting name. He was the Meturgeman. What is a Meturgeman? Translator. A translator. What does it mean, a translator? Very good, it's exactly like Targum. That's right. The... But uh, this chutzpit was one of the ten martyrs, according to that narrative. Yeah. Very good. So what happens is that the, the Chacham normally speaks a little cryptically. He shares ideas. And then the Meturgeman is the one who, after the Chacham finishes the sentence, he explains to the whole audience and also elaborates to somebody who's very learned and very has the power of speech to be able to explain whatever the Chacham was saying. So unlike what we're doing right now, I'm speaking, you're listening, or we're talking with each other, there's a middleman here. There's someone who would sit over here at this table, and he would explain everything that's being said over here. Example, when I taught that you in Ecuador. Yeah, so I spoke in English, Rabbi Israel translated into Spanish, but Rabbi Israel didn't translate word for word in Spanish. He was explaining to everybody what I was saying in Spanish. It's fair? That's the job of Meturgeman. They told him, Meturgeman, stop! Don't continue. Amar, ad How long will Rabban Gamliel continue, you know, picking on Rabbi Yoshua? Last year on Rosh he afflicted him. My father for sure knows his Gemara. What happened on Rosh Abba? Okay, there's a famous 
Machloket, Rabbi Yoshua believed that Yom Kippur, based on his calculations, Yom Kippur fell out on a different day of the calendar. And Rabban Gamliel forced him to come holding his money purse and his staff. And he made him in public come on his Yom Kippurim and desecrate Yom Kippur in front of everybody else. Regarding the firstborn incident involving the question of Rabbi Tzadok, that's another story in its own time. He forced him into an embarrassing situation there too. How long will we be silent when the teacher is bullying the students? We must replace Rabban Gamliel as the Nasi. And they agreed. The people agreed to replace the Nasi. An official only has power so long as the people want them. People always complain to me, the chief rabbinate and the chief rabbinate, the chief rabbinate. Then I ask you a question, what power does the chief rabbinate have over Judaism? Whatever power the people give them. Whatever power the people give them. In our kihila, we decide this gear is a good gear, this kiddushin is a good kiddushin, this food is kasher. Which other rabbi is going to get involved here and decide for you that this food is not kasher or this person is not Jewish? Nobody. Why? Because you don't defer to that rabbi. And that goes two ways. We can't decide here what someone else is going to do. What is a chief rabbinate? A chief rabbi is not a Sanhedrin. They decide that somebody's not Jewish. Good for them. So for them, they're not Jewish. Do they have the ability to make a person halachically not Jewish? They're, they don't have such a status in Jewish law. They decide somebody's not kasher. That means it's not kasher? No. It just means it's not approved. And who gives them that strength? The people. So the same people that spend their whole life complaining about the rabbinate, let them complain. It's your fault that they're still here. It's not my fault. What are you complaining to me for? It's your fault that you still give them the, the power that they have over Am Yisrael. So Manukimle, the question always is, when you replace somebody, who are you going to replace them with? Meaning, who's going to be the better person to replace them with? Maybe we should replace him with Rabbi Yoshua. What's the problem? Palma Sehu. If we replace Rabban Gamliel with Rabbi Yoshua, what does it look like? Yeah, it looks like we're taking sides. But we're putting Rabbi Yoshua, because he was picked on, we're replacing Rabban Gamliel with Rabbi Yoshua. That's not fair. We'll take Rabbi Akiva. Okay, this already, I'm sure there are different ways sometimes Gemara, but on simple value, maybe Rabban Gamliel will cause chaos in the life of Rabbi Akiva, and Rabbi Akiva will not be able to handle this problem. Why? Where does Rabbi Akiva's family come from? His father was a convert. Very good. His father was a convert to Judaism. Meaning, he has no, what they call in Hebrew, protectia. He has no connections. Yichus, right? That's very good. Meaning, if they're going to pick on him, he might, he might fold. Because he doesn't have a power or, or political clout that people will... So that's a problem. It's a calculation. It's not because he's not worthy of the position. It's that we're afraid if we replace him, then the bully will still be able to overcome him. Rather, they suggested... We should appoint Rabbi Elazar ben Azariah. When do you hear the name Rabbi Elazar ben Azariah? You just read it. In the Haggadah. Remember the Haggadah? What does Rabbi Elazar ben Azariah say? I am like 70 years old. And I never married it to hear it. Okay, this is a different topic. 
I am like 70 years old. Dehu Chacham, he's a sage. Dehu Ashir, and he's wealthy. Dehu Asiri Le'ezran, he is the 10th generation from Ezra HaSofer. He comes from a very distinguished family. Atu v'amule, nechale lemar d'leheveh resh metifta. They went to, I'm skipping a few lines, they went to Rabbi Lazar ben Azariah and said, Rabbi, do you want to be the head of the yeshiva? Amar lahu, he told them, Ezil v'imlich be'enashe beti. Let me go and ask the people of my home. Who is the people of his home? His wife. Azal v'imlich bedbetu. He went home and consulted with his home. The word Chachamim used for a wife is a home. Chachamim often called their wife, Biti, my daughter, Biti, my home. That is his whole life. Is a, a, man's, a man's wife is his home. And if a man is not in that kind of relationship with his wife, then his relationship is not a healthy relationship. This is normal that, that he could be whatever he is. At the end of the day, though, his life, his whole life, both partners this way. I once had a, a person I met, and he told my wife and I, a religious guy, don't think, big uh, whatever else you want. He told my wife and I that his favorite Shabbatot are when he gets stuck on a business trip outside of his, uh, far away from his family, so he doesn't have to be home for Shabbat and deal with his wife and the kids and the headache and the noise. And It's his favorite Shabbatot when he gets stuck alone in some hotel in the middle of nowhere. I don't, I don't want to read more into what he's saying. I just, on, face val- on face value, I had a, a, one of my rabbanim from Baltimore. I should give him a long life and good health. Uh, somebody's unmuted. If you don't mind muting yourself, I'd appreciate it. When it came time, I once wanted to bring him here for a Shabbat. And he says, listen, I would love to come for Shabbat, but I can't come without my wife. Why is it? I said, I'm, I use a Yiddish expression. Maybe my wife will correct me if I'm wrong. He said, I'm oismensched without my wife. I mean, I'm half a human being without my wife. I, I, can't, I can't live without my wife. So when it came time for my wife, when she was doing her master's program in Yeshiva University in New York, and she had to go for two months every year to live in New York to do those courses, it was him who I called to consult with about whether it's a good idea for us that my wife should leave to New York and I should stay in San Diego and how much time can we spend apart with each other. Because there are other rabbis that go ask this question. Go, oh, the best thing that ever happened to you is your wife will leave you alone for two months. I don't want to ask those rabbis questions about me and my wife. Those rabbis had miserable relationships. I don't want to have a miserable relationship. And so I went to a rabbi that I know appreciates his wife. So this is what the Bina Zabadina did. He went to his wife. Amarale, she told him, Dilma me'abrinach. Maybe they'll replace you also. Hey, you're dealing with a yeshiva that when they don't like somebody, they replace them. Maybe you're just going to be another guy they hire. I have a friend looking at the jobs as the rabbi of the Bera Knesset. He called me about a certain Bera Knesset and I told him, you know this Bera Knesset has a very special character trait. Every rabbi who comes maybe lasts a year. A good rabbi lasts three years. But after three years, you're going to be fired. This Ben is like a train station. Every, every time they have a new rabbi, there's a new rabbi. And there's a certain point in which you can't keep blaming the rabbi. I mean, you know that person that tells you, oh, my ex-wife is terrible, my ex-wife is terrible, but then they're divorced 17 times. It can't be all your ex-wife's fault, you understand? 
There's a person, oh, the, the manager, I quit my ledger, the manager was good for nothing, the boss was good for nothing. That works once, twice, three times. You can't ten times lose your job and blame the manager because the manager is a bad manager. At a certain point, you have to take responsibility for your life. He said, maybe this is one of those, but they, they're going to hire you and they're going to fire you soon. Amarla, he tells her, let a person use an expensive glass one day and tomorrow it will break. Meaning, it's okay to indulge even for now. Take the opportunity that's in front of you right now. Don't worry so much what will be tomorrow. This is a very interesting word of advice. I'm not sure that you want to follow this advice everywhere. But in this scenario, Rabbi Lazar felt, give me a few days even in this Bet Midrash and I will change the world. I don't care if tomorrow I won't be here anymore. And I'm guilty of violating this teaching. Not so long ago, a community reached out to me. Don't worry, I would never leave this community anyways, but you should know. A community reached out to me with a very nice job, with a lot, a lot, a lot of money. What I would do is I would leave for a few years and come back and I'd never have to ask anybody to pay membership. We'd, just, we'd be good for, for a long time. And this community had a lot of problems. They said, come, you'd be right, you can change the world but I agree with them. I know that if I would give them 10 years of my life, I could change not just the community. I know that place. I could change the whole city. I know for, for sure. With my wife and I. But I'm not looking for it. Every person has to know what they're good for in life. And that's not my tafkir. That's not my job. Let's find somebody else who could do it. So I'm guilty of this advice of maybe jumping on a place. Not jump, I don't jump on every opportunity. It's not always, man, it's not always a, good, it's a good thing. You know, I told my wife recently, we're celebrating now. How many years since 2015? Six years? Seven years? Is our seventh Shavuot together, I think. Could it be? We started Shavuot. I told my wife, it's so special. I remember in the, in my, once upon a time I was a rabbi somewhere else. I dreaded coming to the Beda Knesset. My, my walk to the Beda Knesset was like, I feel like I'm walking closer to the, I can't, I can't explain, like, it was terrible. Here, it's the exact opposite for me. I feel like, we're together, we have a bit of Knesset, we pray together, we study together. I'm being like, how much you enjoy is wonderful, but even on a selfish level, it's a place where I come and I feel, we don't have politics, there's no rich people, poor people showing off to each other, poking each other's eyes out, there's no, uh, no this religious person, that kind of religious thing, you do none of the nonsense, the drama, you didn't say Shabbat Shalom to me, all of that stuff that people spend their whole existence in Bet Knesset, Nobody comes here in the middle of August showing off their fur coat because they have to show everybody how much money they have. We don't have those people. Oh Hashem, why would you give up that for anything in the world? It's, it's a... It's a... Chaye. Amrale, So his wife has practical advice. Oh, let me get you guys back on the big screen. Now that it's here. It's time we're going to pause the recording. The wisdom. Very good advice, actually. Look at the next problem. This is a very practical problem. She tells you, you're going to have a real problem with this job. What's the problem? Exactly. Well, that's exactly why I brought it up. She tells him, You don't have any white hair. This one I'm now... I used to be... This was a problem for me. Unfortunately, it's not a problem anymore. Unfortunately, you have no white hair. So what do you mean, unfortunately, you have no white hair? But you didn't notice because you have to be stay six feet away from me all the time. But... <laughs> You're a young guy. I'm like I'm 70 years old, but he's not really 70 years old. He's a young guy. 
He was 18 years old. A miracle happened. It was 18 years old and a miracle happened and 18 rows of his hair turned white. So overnight he got white hair. That's exactly why Rabbi Lazar ben Azarian Hagada says, That I am like 70 years old. He doesn't say I am 70 years old. He looks 70 years old, but he wasn't 70 years old. He was like 70 years old. But you should know all of this in Agada has meaning. So we're reading a very superficial reading of the story. Tana, it was taught. On that day, Silkuhu the Shomer Petach. Rabbi Lazar ben Azariah made a revolution in the Bet Midrash. He dismissed the guard who was at the door of the Bet Midrash. Not a guard, a security guard. This was the guard who made sure that only certain people came into the yeshiva. And he gave permission for all the students, anybody who wanted to enter. Meaning, the Rosh Yeshiva stops giving tests. Anybody who wants to be a member of the yeshiva, come on in. Rabban Gamliel's policy was any student whose inside is not as like their outside so any student whose character traits were not perfect was not allowed to enter the Bet Midrash Rabbi Elazar ben Azariah broke down the walls of the Bet Midrash he opened the door and he allowed everybody in tell me now in my reading is he like Yosef ben Yoezer of make your house a house of Torah scholars? Or is he like Yosef and Yochanan, open your home to all? Who is Rabban Gamliel and who is Rabbi Lazar ben Azariah? The first one. The first one says, make your home a home of Torah study. That's Rabban Gamliel. Only certain. Tamilech Chamim should come here. Yeh betcha betvan lechachamim. Only chachamim should come. Rabbi Yosef and Yochanan, he tells us, open your home to everyone. Rabbi Lazar ben Azariah is making a revolution in the Ben Midrash. He's letting anybody who wants to come study Torah just come. I want you here. I want you to study Torah. Yoma, on that same day, I think it says itvasfu, but I hear the Nikud is itosfu. I don't know if that's correct. Kama Several benches were added to the Ben Midrash to accommodate all of the new students in the yeshiva. You know, I mentioned adding benches to the yeshiva. When I was in Israel, you know, Israel, unfortunately, of all the Jewish communities that still have racism between Sephardim and Ashkenazim, I think the, the religious community is the only one left, still, still towing. I mean, you have racism everywhere, but where it's still an accepted norm in the Jewish community, you don't believe me? It's still an acceptable thing to ask a person in a shidduch, Hashem Khan will ask, would you marry someone Sephardi? My answer to that question, my answer to the question was, I don't care. But if she cares, I don't want to date her. Even if she's someone Sephardi that doesn't want to date her in Ashkenazi, I don't want to date her. It's not for me. What kind of, when it says that 40 days before you're born, HaKadosh Baruch announces who you're going to marry. You think HaKadosh Baruch makes calculations now? It's going to be Ashkenazi, it's going to be Sephardi, it's going to be a Hasid vision, it's going to be Hasid Gor. Do you think HaKadosh Baruch is busy making these calculations for you? Yeah, exactly. Kippa, no Kippa, who, know? who knows? 
So they say in once a story about a guy, a yeshiva guy, Sephardic one. He wanted to get into this really exclusive Ashkenazi yeshiva in Bnei Brak. Probably Yerushalayim is better because there they speak it. So I want to get into this very exclusive yeshiva, Lithuanian yeshiva in, in Jerusalem. And he comes to the rabbi and the rabbi takes one look at this guy in front of him that doesn't have the right skin color and he says, sorry, we don't have any more room in the yeshiva. He says, what do you mean you have room in the yeshiva? He says, I, 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 I want to be a student here. I want to learn Torah. I want to grow. I want to... He says, listen, you know, I would love for you to come learn Torah here. But, unfortunately, I don't, I don't have a room in the dormitory for you. We have a dorm. It's full. I don't have a room in the dormitory for you. He says, no, I'll bring a mattress and I'll, I'll put it in the hallway of the dorm. I'll sleep on the floor. He says, no, we have a problem with the fire department and they're going to say, mattress in the hallway. And I, I can't. I can't have you putting a mattress in the dormitory. He says, don't worry. So then I won't put a mattress in the dormitory. He says, I'm going to sleep outside on the sidewalk. He tells me, you don't understand. The donors are going to come. They're going to see the guy, homeless guy sleeping on the sidewalk. It doesn't make sense. I can't have you sleeping on the sidewalk outside the yeshiva. It's okay, so I'll go sleep in my mother's house and I'll come every morning, I'll walk a mile to the yeshiva to come in. He says, yeah, but you're going to be late to the, the tefillah in the morning. He says, no, I'm going to wake up an hour early, I'm going to come on time. He said, okay, but that's a problem. See, you're going to come to the Benamidlash and I, I just, I don't have a, a stender for you. I don't have a table for you to study on. He says, don't worry, I'm going to bring my own table from home. We have tables at home, I'll bring it. He said, that's the problem is I don't have room in the Benamidlash to put your table. So he tells him, he says, no, I, just, I can sit in the hallway, what's the big deal? He says, okay, listen, fine, you bring a table, it's the hallway, you sleep in your mother's house. But the problem is, the problem is that all the shiurim and the yeshiva are in Yiddish. And you don't speak Yiddish. He says, Rabbi, don't worry, I'm going to learn Yiddish, it's okay, I'll teach myself Yiddish. He said, English you don't understand, you wanted me to teach you Yiddish. Said, How do you, you don't understand, they don't want you in this yeshiva, they don't want you here. Some people, they don't, they don't want you here. This was the whole experience. They had to add extra benches to the Ben Midrash. Rabban Gamliel had told everybody, there's no room in the Ben Midrash for you. Rabbi Azam Ben Midrash is right, there's no room. But I'm bringing in extra benches for everyone to sit. And there was an argument among the rabbis. One say 400 benches were added. One says 700 benches were added. You should know, most again, these numbers are numbers of Agadah. You have to understand what is 400 and what is 700 for a different time. Rabban Gamliel... Rabban Gamliel became very depressed. Amar, he said, Maybe this attitude of Rabbi Lazar ben Azariah is correct. Maybe I'm the one who held back Torah study from these multitudes of Jewish people. They showed him in his dream white jugs filled with ashes. Somehow showing that these students are not really that great. They're drugs, they're full of ashes. The Gemara says it's not the truth. The truth was that these were good students that came to the Bet Midash. But in heaven, they were trying to comfort Urban Gamil. He was a great man. They were trying to comfort him. Tana, our rabbis taught. The whole tractate that we have now in the Babylonian Talmud called Eduyot. That whole tractate was written in the first day that Rabbi Lazar ben Azariah brought all of these people in. That's how much Torah they studied. And every time you find the Beraita or Mishnah that says, on that day, it's talking about that day where Rabbi Lazar ben Azariah made a revolution in the Ben Midrash. 
ולא הייתה הלכה שהייתה תלויה בבית מדרש שלא פירשוה. There was no הלכה that popped up in the בית מדרש that day that they couldn't answer. ואף רבן גמליאל לא מנע עצמו מבית המדרש אפילו שעה אחת. And even רבן גמליאל did not avoid the בית המדרש even for one moment. He wanted to show them that he didn't bear a grudge. If you were thinking in the beginning of the story that רבן גמליאל was some problematic individual, he came, he accepted that he was replaced, he studied halakha with him in the בית המדרש like everybody else. Ends up happening at the end of the story is they come to some kind of resolution where one week Rabbi Elazar ben Azariah will be the head of the yeshiva, one week it's kind of like what they try to do in Israel. One week a prime minister here, one week a prime minister there. They're going to take rotations on prime ministers. The same thing they were doing here. It's already a different Gemara for a different time. But what do you see here? You see there are two attitudes in the Jewish world already in the Talmud. There are those rabbis who believe that the only way to maintain Torah is to maintain some exclusive, very high pedigree of Torah scholars. Only certain types of Chachamim are able to enter. Like Rabbi Yosef ben Yezer who said, Yi betcha betvan Chachamim. And then there's a style of Chachamim who they tell us, Your home should be open to everybody. Even the poor people should be able to come into your home. Do you remember Hillel and Shammai? Remember how Hillel couldn't make it into the... Was this Hillel and Shammai? Uh, or I'm telling you? Yeah, Hillel. Hillel, remember he came to the Midrash. He couldn't afford the entrance fee to the Bede Midrash of Shemaya Naftalion. So he ended up going on the roof and it snowed on him. You remember the story? Hillel was forced out of the Bede Midrash because he couldn't pay the membership. He couldn't pay the entrance fee to the nightclub. Can you imagine what would have happened to Am Yisrael if Hillel was held away from the Bede Midrash? But don't be surprised that from the camp of Yosef ben Yoezer comes Hillel. This is... It's a, it's a path of continuity down to his students. Bet Hillel comes out of this camp, if I'm not mistaken. I know what time it is, and I know, I know we're supposed to switch over to Shulchan Aruch. I didn't get a chance to do Rav Kook with you. Will you guys be okay with me if I don't get to Shulchan Aruch tonight and I, I get stuck here on this topic? You okay? You guys are fine? Okay. Thank God nobody said no, because then I wouldn't know what to do. Yes, yes. I brought for you an essay from Harav Kook. Harav Kook's essays are notoriously hard to understand. Not always because the, I mean, sometimes the content is difficult too, but just the language is very cryptic. Everything is very cryptic with Harav Kook. Uh, this is even more cryptic. Why? Because this is a book of the teachings of Harav Kook but it's a book of the teachings of Rav Kook that were not written by him, they were written by the students. They listened to his speeches on Shabbat and they would write them down afterwards and therefore the name of this book is Shemuot Raya, the rumors of the Raya, like the things we heard from him. But these are not actually written by Rav Kook himself. Uh, if you look here, it's in your Google Classroom, it's the third attachment in the Google Classroom. So it's the third attachment and it says Shemuot Raya. This book was printed by Rabbi Kalman Eliezer Frankel in Tel Aviv in 1929, if my math is correct, 1929. <coughs> this has been adapted into English, by the way. <coughs> For anybody who wants, there's a beautiful set of books. 
written by a rabbi who I don't know, but we have mutual uh, colleagues with each other. Gold from the land of Israel, silver from the land of Israel. Uh, rabbi Hanan Morrison is his name. Like I told you, I don't know him. But he's a bit Mecham. <coughs> and if my memory serves me correctly, he's a graduate of our yeshiva in Yerushalayim also. But I wanted to take you to the Hebrew original. And I'm not going to read the whole thing with you. But some highlights, some key points. And to understand Alav Kuk, you have to realize that this Shi'uim were given, if you look on the cover page, Imrot Adonai Imrot Torot Shalembu Betar Yoma Midei Shabbat B'Shabbato Med B'Mu'ado Alidei Tar Gavra These are pure words that were said on a pure day on Shabbat by the pure man. Ahu Kahana Rabba, he was the great Kohen. Marah Dara Kadisha the master of the land of Israel. And he says, these are teachings that were taught on Shabbat. Rabbi Avraham Yitzchak HaKohen Kuk had a special group of students that he taught special things to by Sunash Lishit of Shabbat. Most likely these things, I assume, come from that class. Kuk said some highly, sometimes unusual, but highly complicated and cryptic things in this Sudash Lishit meals. But this Derasha and Parashat Vayeshev, which always falls out during Hanukkah, it's a very important teaching. And this continues the conversation we've had, whether do you build a wall around the Jewish community or do you tear down the wall and integrate into the whole world? It brings a whole new meaning here to the Parasha Vayeshev. It connects directly into Hanukkah, which is the generation we're in in our Rambam right now, the generation of the Hashemunayim. And what I'm telling you right now are things, thoughts that have been inside of me for a long time. And like I told you, you don't have to accept any of them as absolute truth. But these thoughts are things that may shed light on questions that you have had in your own Jewish study. I know that I've been sitting on these ideas for many, many years. I don't believe I've ever taught any of these things in public. Uh, so today's the time to jump into something different. Look here at the bottom of page, it says Pei Aleph at the top, so it's the second page of your PDF. You see at the bottom of the page there's a Beparashazo. See those words? It says Parashat Vayishev in the middle of the page. Anyone need help finding this PDF? It was in the Google Classroom of today, in the, in the Zoom invitation of today. In this parasha, we find the sale of Yosef, the brother, by the rest of the tribes of Israel, his brothers. And we begin to find that this is the direct beginning of the exile of the Jewish people. So what happens after Yosef is sold into exile? We follow him into Egypt and the rest is literally history. So our history, our beginning of the end, of that, that whole galut, the exile we go to happens at the moment that the brothers sell Yosef as a slave. Now you should know, in general, I came back here, I, I, Parashat Vayeshev, last year I taught the Kina. my understanding of Parashat Vayeshev is quite simple. It's what I received from our parents. The brothers did a, a tremendous avera by selling their brother. I'm not looking to rationalize it, I'm not, I don't accept the commentaries to try to make 
and all of this holiness and bedin. I know that Chachamim said it, but at the end of the day, we must understand the story literally. At least that's how we understand it here in this Bet Midash. Today, Rav Kukla was going to take a tangent on this story. We fulfill that prophecy which says that the, the descendants of Avraham Avinu will be strangers in a land that does not belong to them. This parasha is always read in the days of Hanukkah. And Rav Kuk therefore wants to connect this parasha, what's really going on in this parasha, and what's going on in the story of Hanukkah, which is the generation we're dealing with in the Rambam's writings. And figure out what's actually happening here. So go with me to the next page. This is the third page of your PDF. It says pay bit at the top. Two lines down. Bichlal kol ha'inyan shel mechirat Yosef. And I need you to follow this train of thought all the way through because there are a lot of moving pieces that will all connect together. The sale of Yosef al hashvatim at the hands of the brothers. Their brothers did not sell Yosef because of some petty jealousy over a striped robe. These are the tribes of the Jewish people. The tribes of God. Is that some people that get jealous over a coat and try to kill their brother? These are giants of our people. We have to understand that there's a deeper narrative going on here, for the better or for the worse. Could you really believe that these brothers are murderers? Just normal, basic murderers? In order to understand all of this, we see, when you really ponder this matter of the brothers and the sale, the main dispute between the brothers and Yosef were not really the brothers and Yosef. The main debate was between Yehuda and Yosef. You don't find the brothers. The brothers are following Yehuda. By the way, this goes on throughout the, the narrative. Even when it comes to Egypt and Binyamin coming and all of that, Yosef at Tzadik is only listening to one son talking all the time. Which is that son that he's listening to? Yehuda, over and over and over, Yehuda. Meaning, what's happening in this whole part of Bereshit is a conversation of Yehuda and Yosef. Yehuda and Yaakov. And the brothers are coming along with Yehuda for the ride. That makes sense. Yehuda is the king. Yehuda is the leader. That's what he is. That makes sense. It's not a, so that does not make sense. Does it have anything to do with like, uh, Mashiach and Yosef? Mashiach Absolutely. And we're going to talk about that. Very good. We're going to talk about that in just a few minutes, actually. Amar... What's that, what is that here? You know, the language here is, is very, it's like someone transcribing notes. Yehuda Amar, Yehuda says, We find, he says, why would we kill our brother? What, what are we going to get out of killing our brother? Let's just go sell him. Sell him to the Ishmaelim, to the Ishmaelites. says, you have to understand what's happening here. Why does Yehuda so much oppose killing Yosef? Why not? If you're fighting with him, kill him. Why sell him? What's that going to solve? What problem is that going to solve? If you have a problem, you're trying to get rid of Yosef, sending Yosef away is not going to solve your problem. It's just going to move your problem somewhere else. We don't really understand why Yehuda is opposed to killing Yosef. Hold that thought. Hold that thought. And follow me to the bottom of the page here. 
the last word on the line is Hamikdash. Hamikdash. And I'm reading four words before there. Hamikdash Mishkan. Later on in Jewish history, there are two places where we worship. The Mikdash, that's the permanent Bet Mikdash, the temple in Jerusalem. And there's the Mishkan. The Mishkan was resting for the, much of the time where? Where's the famous place of the Mishkan? Mishkan Shiloh, very good, in Shiloh. This is a temporary dwelling place for the Shekhinah, meaning there's a Shiloh, Mishkan, and there's a Jerusalem, Bet Mikdash. That's how that works. Hamikdash haya the Ben Mikdash is in the portion of Yehuda. Yes, there's a little snippet of Benjamin in there, but for the most part, the Ben Mikdash sits in Jerusalem. Jerusalem is the capital of the Jewish government. That's where David HaMelech's family is, and therefore it's part of the tribe of Yehuda. Umishkan Shiloh, Shaya Yosef. And the Mishkan Shiloh, which is in the tribe of Yosef, Yosef's territory is where the Mishkan is. Shne'ele Bnei Plukta. Both Yosef and Yehuda were people who were in a deep theological, philosophical debate. They were fighting about something in a matter of principle. In order to explain this, he has to give us a few more introductions. Let's go to the top of page, Pei Gimel, so that's already going to be page 4 of your PDF. You have these tribes. These tribes really begin the Jewish nations. Abraham is an individual. Yitzchak is an individual. Yaakov is an individual. But the tribes are no longer an individual. What's happening when the tribes are born? The Jewish people become a nation. And you now have to stop focusing on, listen, what works for my family. Now you're scaling the Jewish people. You scale the Jewish people, you have to figure out how are you going to continue the Jewish people in the world? What's your approach? What's your philosophy? Vina Shvatim, three lines down from the top of page Pegimen. Vina Shvatim Shayutzim Ligbad Derek Shir Kidushat Israel Baulam. The tribes, it's their job to bring the holiness of Israel to the world. Yehuda and Yosef were arguing at a matter of principle about how to do this. Yosef Amar, Yosef says, Kikudushat Israel Hilamed Latoim Bina. That the whole purpose of the holiness of Israel is to teach all those who have strayed away, to teach them wisdom of Hashem. To involve yourself, to integrate into the non-Jewish world. And to teach them the ways of Hashem, like the Prophet says. That Ephraim will assimilate into the nations. Meaning that there's an, the job of the Jewish people is to reach the whole world. To reach the whole world, we can't build walls. We have to go out to the world and connect with the world and bring them to belief in Hashem. <laughs> we have to bring holiness also to the nations of the world, to the Goyim. That, that's Yosef's approach. And that's what it means when Yosef tells his brothers, what does he say? That they made me Samani Elohim, Adonai made me Le'adon al kol Mitzrayim, the master of Egypt. Meaning, Yehuda, look at me. I've been successful here. My belief is that I came to the world to bring godliness to the nations of the world, and I'm successful. I am now the ruler of Egypt. Absolutely. Very good. Exactly. Perush, meaning, Achshav Elohim hu Adon al Mitzrayim. Meaning Hashem has made me the ruler over Egypt, meaning Hashem is really the ruler over Egypt. 
I have fulfilled my mission. My mission was to make the people of Egypt and the people who follow HaKadosh Baruch Hu. Yehuda Amar in Yehuda's stance, that the only way you can maintain Jewish holiness is by maintaining our separation from the nations of the world. Am levadad yishkon. That's what Bin Am says when he says we are a people who will dwell independently, separately. Because there's always a danger that if we try to assimilate with the goyim, integrate with them, we'll end up assimilating into them and we'll disappear. He sees that Yerovam is going to come out of Ephraim. That the intermarriage led for this Jewish leader to cause the Jewish people to follow idols and lead them astray. And Yehuda rightfully believed he saw Yosef as an existential threat to the continuity of the Jewish people. And the brothers begin pondering, so how are we going to get rid of Yosef? Yosef is trying to assimilate us. Yosef is trying to destroy the Jewish people. How can we get rid of him and maintain our people? And therefore, who jumps into the story? The brothers Shimon and Levi. What's their job? These were the first people who ever risked their life for the sanctity of the Jewish people. Tell me about Shimon and Levi. They're referred to in the Torah as Achei Dina, the brothers of Dina. Why? What do they do with Dina? What's the story? They, they saw that Shechem and Chamo was starting up with their sister Dina, and they went in there and massacred the city of Shechem. I mean, these are the first ones who fight against intermarriage, assimilation in the Jewish people. They are warriors against intermarriage in the Jewish people. That's their job. He said, look, the dreamer is coming, let's kill him now. And this is exactly, Reuven comes trying to save his life. And that's the reason why HaKadosh Baruch Hu rewards him for trying to save Yosef's life. He rewards him that the cities of refuge end up being in the portion of Reuven. Because he's a person who stood up against his brothers to save a person's life. And because of that, he merits to have the cities of refuge in his portion. Ulam Yehuda, Yehuda says, What will it help us? If we kill our brother, and we cover his blood. Yehuda, Yehuda says, If Hashem wants Yosef to be successful, if he's really right, then what's it going to help us if we kill him? Then it will happen anyways. Instead of killing Yosef, let's put Yosef to the test. Let's see what will happen if we send him to assimilate into the nations of the world. Let's see how successful he'll be. That's his plan, right? His plan is he's going to go to the Goyim and he's going to be successful getting them to believe in Hashem. Let's put him to the test. Why kill him? Let's let him prove himself wrong. But then Yehuda has a problem. He sees that just as he sends Yosef, that's when his exile begins. Yosef is now sold as a slave. And ultimately Yehuda causes for the future that before the Mashiach ben David can come, before the Mashiach ben David, that's the descendant of Yehuda, 
you first have to have Mashiach ben Yosef. That he caused the Galut Yehuda. How did he cause the Galut? By selling Yosef. The only way he'll be able to fix that and bring the Geula is to let Yosef come first and then Yehuda can come back. But don't lose your head yet because we still haven't finished. The difference between Yosef and Yehuda, you find the difference continues when the Jewish people enter the land of Israel. This is many years later in history. We cross the Yarden, we cross the Jordan, we come into Eretz Israel, and we establish a place to pray. What's that place called? The Mishkan. The Mishkan is the temporary worship place of the Jewish people. In the times of the Mishkan, where did we offer sacrifices? In the Mishkan. And where else? Everywhere. 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 Private altars. Private altars. We were able to worship HaKadosh Baruch everywhere. And the Mishkan had another halakha, interesting halakha. The meat that you sacrificed in the Mishkan you were allowed to eat it all over where you could still see the Mishkan. You could spread out and eat that meat. The Ben Dash has a whole different set of playing rules. From when we build the Ben Dash, what's the new rule? Isur Bamot. We're now no longer allowed to sacrifice anywhere except for in the Ben Dash. And when we sacrifice in the Ben Dash, we have to eat that meat in where? In the walls of the Ben Dash, in the same place that we sacrificed it. Where is the Ben Mikdash? In the tribe of Yehuda. And where is the Mishkan? In the place of Yosef. If you look with me on page Pei Dalid. No, only a little bit. Most of it is in Yehuda. Look here. Turn with me to page Pei Dalid. It's the second to last page in your PDF. Ima, look for you. You want the source? If you look in, uh, in uh, the top three lines, That's, it's only a little bit of Binyamin in Yehuda. I'm five lines down on the top of page Pedalit. We find differences again, not just in sacrificing outside of the temple, but where you could eat it. In Shiloh, you could eat everywhere that you wanted. That you were able to eat the Kodashim, the holy food, everywhere, in front of everybody. That's the whole purpose of Yosef. Eat your holy food in front of the whole world. Let them see how you serve HaKadosh Baruch Show them how you serve HaKadosh Baruch We don't care. We're not hiding from anybody. We're integrating. We're going to teach the world about HaKadosh Baruch But inside of the Ben Mikdash, they ate in closed quarters. We confine Jewish holiness into the walls of the Ben Mikdash, as is the vision of Yehuda. Keep Judaism to Jews. The holiness of the Jewish people is separate from the nations of the world. 
And this is how both of these opinions continue to be in Jewish history. Yosef v'Yehuda ad biat ha-goel. There are always going to be in the Jewish people conflicting forces of Yehuda and Yosef, keeping Judaism inside the walls or exposing Judaism outside of the walls. gog magog And at the end of times of gog magog, Yakum Mashiach ben Yosef, first will return Mashiach ben Yosef, Mashiach ben David, and then will come Mashiach ben David, and ultimately that will be the redemption has to happen both with the opinion of Yosef and the opinion of Yehuda. No. Okay. Very, very Okay, beautiful, beautiful. Let me just say this last part out loud. I don't think I could read it all to you, but let me say the last part out loud. You then have this war continue into the generation that we're living in right now. Not our generation, the generation of the Chashmonei. That's where we are in the Rambam. You have the Greeks. The Greeks are not stupid. The Greeks are very learned people. They're familiar with different wisdoms and different theologies. And they have a few desires. What do the Greeks want from the Jews? I'm reading in the middle of that paragraph. Write on the horn of a cow, of an of a ox, that you don't have a portion with the God of Israel. What, what do the Greeks want from us? I'll write it on the paper. Sign a contract. The Greeks who knew wisdoms. They even translated the Torah into Greek. They wanted the Jewish people to assimilate into the nations of the world. Write on the horn of an ox. Why? Do you remember? Do you remember that Yosef is blessed like the horn of an ox? They're trying to invoke this teaching of Yosef. Assimilate like Yosef always wanted you to do. Melt into us. Don't you remember the horn? That's what they want. We don't have a portion in the God of Israel. What are they really saying? The Greeks wanted the Jews to embrace the world view of Yosef. To be among the nations. To assimilate into them. So don't worry, we don't disagree that there'll be a shofar of Yosef. We don't disagree that we'll revive the world with your Mashiach. But it should do it all together. Let's be one happy family. There was a period even in America where Jews right and left were giving up Judaism for universalism. Let's all be one nation. It didn't work so well for the Jewish people. But they didn't truly understand the opinion of Yosef. That's the whole purpose. Yosef didn't believe in assimilating for the sake of assimilation. Yosef believed in integration with one purpose in mind. To bring the people back to Torah. To bring the nations of the world back to the creator of the universe. And if you're telling us to write on the ox's horn, we should be like Yosef. We can't be like Yosef and revoke our connection with HaKadosh Baruch Hu. That's the whole purpose Yosef believes. Yosef believes we're integrating into the world only so that we can teach the world about HaKadosh Baruch Hu. And that's why the song that we sing on Chanukah, the Paitan, Maos Tzur Yeshuati, what does he say? Partzu Chomot Migdalai. They broke down the walls of my towers. Chanukah is all about a people 
that were trying to break down the walls. Who are these Mityavnim, these Hellenists? They were using Judaism, Jewish philosophy. We're just Jews in the camp of Yosef. We just want to break down the walls of Jerusalem so we can integrate and then be like the rest of the world. But you're missing the point. Yosef didn't believe in integrating for the sake of integration, but integrating in the sake of straightening out the world. Now you can understand the final part of the story of Hanukkah. Who saves the Jewish people from the hands of the Mityavnim, of the Greeks, who claim mistakenly, in a perverse way, to follow the opinion of Yosef? Who comes to save? Who are the Maccabim? Matityahu comes from which tribe? Who, which tribe? He's a Kohen, from which tribe? Last week's Haftarah, what do we say? Kohanim Halevi'im. Kohanim are just Levi'im. Not just, but they're, they're Levi'im. It was the Kohanim that came. Remember Shimon and Levi? They were the ones that came to save the Jewish people from assimilation. It makes sense that it's the Kohanim who stepped back into the story of Hanukkah to save the people from assimilating all over again. And it's the Kohanim that are even separate from the Jewish people that taught the Jewish people something amazing. That only when you can have Kohanim. Kohanim will teach us that we can still... What are Kohanim? We're allowed to marry Kohanim. We can be friends with Kohanim. We can learn with Kohanim. The Kohanim are always going to be separate from us. They're always going to take the first Aliyah. They're always going to bless the community. Kohanim teach us that we can be integrated as a people but still be separate from each other. Kohanim have their own level of holiness. When you can bring Kohanim to the world, we can teach the nations of the world something fascinating. And this is my last thing for tonight, my last teaching. Look at me on the last page of your PDF, on page Peihei. I'm one, two, three, four, five, six lines down. Latid in the future. Yomeru goim the goim will say, Lechu v'na'alel har Adonai, let's go up to the mountain of Hashem. El bet Yaakov, to the house of the God of Jacob. V'amu Chazal and our rabbis say, Avraham kirao har, Avraham called this place a mountain. Yitzchak kirao sadeh, Yitzchak called it a field. Har v'sadeh mevchinat itpashtut, hefker. Mountains, fields, they're no man's land. Everybody can go there. Yaakov, that's like Yosef. Yosef says mountain, field, meaning everyone can come. Yaakov kirao bait. Yaakov is intent, he refers to the place of Hashem as a home. That's the pasuk we name this community after. This is the house of Hashem. What is a house? What is a house? A house is a place with walls. A house is a place with walls. The Ben Mikdash in the future will be a place for all the nations to come visit. But it's not going to be a mountain and it's not going to be a field. It's going to be a house with walls. When the Jewish people learn how to balance between Yehuda and Yosef, they learn how to balance between Yosef ben Yoezer and Yosef ben Yochanan. When the Jewish people learn how to balance between Rabban Gamliel and Nazar ben Azariah, when the Jewish people realize that there are two theologies, but there's room for both in the life of the Kohanim. Who are these leaders, these Ugot? We're talking about some of them Kohanim. Last night we read about a Kohen, Gadot. That we're talking about people who taught us that just like you can accept and you can embrace this idea that the, that the Kohanim are separate to us, but we still are integrated with them. Their holiness is a separate type of holiness. We accept that, we respect that, but we still are people as part of the same people. If we can embrace this concept of kihuna, being holy in their own holiness, but also integrated, we'll be able to do the same thing with the nations of the world. When we can show them, our Bede Mikdash, it's not a free-for-all. You can't do whatever you want here. We're not looking to assimilate. 
But we're willing to be, just like the Kohanim are leaders for us and we're integrated with them, we are willing to be Derech, leaders for you, the nations of the world. Come to the temple. The Prophet says, and my home will be called the home of prayer for all nations. A home. A home with walls. Walls, though, that are open to everybody. And that's the balance between the two Chachamim we spoke about last night and today. There's the Chacham who says that there are walls. Only let Chachamim in your home. And there's another Chacham who says, no, open your home to everybody. But even when he says, open your home to everybody, he means you're still in a home. There are still walls. There are still boundaries. Kiddushat Israel will forever stand. But just because we have Kiddushat Israel does not mean that we exclude the nations of the world from coming and learning and following in the way of HaKadosh Baruch Hu. Bezad Hashem, we should marry to live till that day. Thank you very much for learning with me tonight. Bezad Hashem. And I, again, thank you for your patience with me. As this was a very long shiul, but I couldn't, I was preparing this already in my mind that I couldn't, that we couldn't stop. I had to share this with you. And I hope Bezad Hashem that it made any impact. And God willing, let's stick around. If anybody has any questions, I'm here.